Um, but we got back last week, two weeks ago, me and Pastor Jody went to Montana. Um, I know, it's a hard job. Uh, went to Montana, went fly fishing. It's a pastor's retreat that um, we get invited to go every year. Um, last year was the COVID year where all 15 of us who went got COVID. So thank God, no COVID this time. Amen. Praise Jesus. Well, I love Montana. How many of you love Montana? Anybody been to Montana? Come on now. God's country. Um, unless you go to the reservation. No lie. This, is gonna, this, this kind of broke my heart. This ain't even in the notes. This is free. Um, we drove through, um, it was too windy one day to go fishing on the Bighorn River, and we drove through the Crow Agency, which is like the capital of the Crow Reservation where we were at. And we were going to the Battle of Little Bighorn, um, Custer's Last Stand. And as you pull into the reservation, it, it looks like a third world, third world country. And there was a sign that said, if this is God's country, then what happened? <sighs> I just want to, like, I told one of the guys who was in the car with me, I just said, I, I really, I have such a heart right now for this. I know I'm an emotional guy, and I'm like, I just want to sell everything. I don't go be a missionary to those people because it broke my heart. But being in Montana, um, it kind of gives you a new perspective. But one of the perspectives that I loved whenever we go to Montana, we fly into Billings, and as you're driving through Billings, there's some restaurants. We always eat at a local restaurant before we go down to the lodge. And the restaurant that I saw that we didn't stop at was called Cafe Zydeco. Yes, Billings, Montana. I'm sure their gumbo was not roux-based. I'm sure it was tomato-based. So we got to the lodge and we were talking about all kind of food because they really serviced really well there with food. And one of the guys, one of the guides there said, man, I really don't like Cajun food. I was like, where are you from? Missoula, Montana. I'm like, you don't like Cajun food, all right? And he's like, yeah, that Cafe Zydeco, I don't like that place. I was like, oh, ho, ho, hold on, bro. Hold on. That's not Cajun food. Tomato-based Gumbo is not gumbo. Sorry, I'm offending people right now and I'm causing division. I'm so sorry if you're watching this online. But that's not Cajun food. And what it made me think about was this. A new Gallup poll came out this year, 2021. Gallup poll does all kind of research. And 48% of Americans go to church. It's the first time it ever dropped below 50%. 1991, it was 84% of Americans were members of a church. So in 30 years, we went down to 48%. And they asked people, why? Why aren't you a member of a church anymore? The church hurt me. Church hurt me. I don't want to be a part of that. I hate the church. Don't want to be a part of it. Don't really like it. When I think about that, I think about the Cajun food comment. That the Cajun food that this guy from Montana had was a cheap imitation of real Cajun food. And the people that are hurt by the church were hurt by a cheap imitation of what the church was supposed to be. It wasn't supposed to be what we made it out to be. There is a disconnect in the body. And one of the reasons, another, one of the top five reasons why people were leaving the church was infighting. They said that the election of 2020 was a huge moment in the church where division, where the enemy really sowed division in the church. And it wasn't like 2020 was just like the main thing. No, it's been, it's been going on. Culture, it's been going on, going on, where it's not important anymore. And maybe we need to get back to what the important part of the church is. What's going on? There's a disconnect. There's a disconnect between generations. 
There's something, I know we live in the Bible Belt, the southern part of the Bible Belt, and we don't get to hear these arguments that are going on in some of the universities. I went to Magnese, and whenever people are like, oh, universities are so bad, I'm like, man, I had some really good Christian um, professors that we talked about faith, we talked about religion. It was so good. So when people are like, oh, universities are teaching this, that was not my experience. But I live in the South, and I went to college in Lake Charles. And what's happening is there's this big movement called deconstruction. Anybody ever heard of it? See, a few people. What's well, huge, I just got to spend a week with a guy in Seattle. He's from Seattle, Washington. He's a pastor up there. And he said deconstruction has split their church into two. And the reason why is because people are starting to ask questions. Pastor Jody said this about the reason why we need to know what God says in his word, because people are going to start asking questions. And if you have, well, my pastor said, it's not going to cut anymore. You know what's not even cutting it now? The Bible says. You got to know what you would know, what you know, what you know, what you know, and why you know it. Because there's a generation, and I'm not even talking about the 12-year-olds, I'm talking about the 21-year-olds, I'm talking about the 28-year-olds who are leaving the church because the church has not shown them the answer that they need for their life. What kind of church are we going to be? Are we going to be the church that's unified on what we're supposed to be unified? There's so many factions and divisions. And I'm just going to share a few of them. There's factions even on the music that we play. Oh, you should sing hymns. Well, you know hymns came from like Irish bar tunes, but anyway, you want to go there? Oh, you can't play Hillsong. You know what's going on in Hillsong? Oh my gosh, you can't play Bethel music. What is wrong with you? Like there's all kinds of divisions going on. There's political divisions. There's mask, unmask, vax, no vax. There's so many divisions in the church and we make the minor things become the major things and then young people get turned off from it because they're tired of what we're speaking, because maybe we're not speaking the true foundation of what the church is supposed to be. I'm going to be honest with you. Um, I've tried to change this message a thousand times. I really did. When Pastor Jody and me were kind of talking about the service, and it kind of was like, oh, we're going to go this direction, we're going to go this direction. I changed it even this morning. That's why one of my, book, one of my Bible markers is a napkin, because I changed it so many times. Because honestly, I was telling the guys this week, I'm nervous to preach this. But I believe this with my whole heart that we gotta get back to what we're supposed to be doing in the church. Church has become an hour-long get-together where we sing some kumbaya songs, we shake hands and pretend that we have fellowship. That's not what the church is meant to be. As a church staff, you know, we... I wish sometimes that we could put a camera and a microphone in our church staff meetings because I think you would be shocked of the depth that we talk about theology and doctrine. We talk about this a lot. And about 2014, we started talking about the closed fist doctrine, the closed fist theology. Because it happened in 2014, some books were coming out by some prominent ministers that were questioning some foundational things about our faith that we should never question. There's things that we can question, methods, music that we play, preaching style. Should we preach straight scripture? Should we preach opinion? Like we can debate all those things. But one thing we can never debate is what's in this fist. 
What's in this fist is the foundation of our doctrines, the foundation of what we believe and why we believe it. If you grew up in a denominational church, maybe you've heard of some of these things like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. What were those things? They were foundational beliefs that we have. That if you went up to one of those people and say, why do you believe what you can, why do you believe what you believe? You would be able to tell them what you believe. Now, if we go, hey, what's the foundation of your faith? Um, um, the, the Bible? What is the foundation of our faith? What is in this fist? Number one, the thing that is in this fist that can never be questioned is that Jesus was born of a virgin. You don't, I mean, listen, if you get what that means, it is really important because if that's not true, this whole thing does not work. He had to be the perfect seed. Now, how does it work? How does God, Jesus in heaven, the power, he leaves his position of divinity and he goes into a womb of a young girl. Us adults know how babies are made. I don't understand that. I don't need to right now. What I need to understand that he was born of a virgin has to be true. I also believe that he has to live a perfect, sinless life. In 2012, a, a research study came out under Barna that said 62% of teenage Christians believe that Jesus committed a sin while on the earth. Oxymoron right there. Jesus had to be perfect because he was our atonement. He was our perfect sacrifice. He could not commit sin. Those are just two things. The third thing was this, that he was crucified as the perfect lamb. He was crucified by Pontius Pilate. He was on the cross. That is something that's in this fist that we don't question. And the fourth thing was on the third day, he resurrected. And that same power that resurrected him is the same power that lives in us because of the Holy Spirit. Those are the four things that we don't question. But do you believe that? Do you believe it in here? Then why do we get so caught up arguing about these other things that really don't matter? Should women preach? Like that's a big, that's a big one. And we get, we get arguments over secular music, non-secular music, when we need to keep the main thing the main thing the life of Jesus. That is the foundation of our faith, is Jesus Christ. Him being the perfect lamb of God who was slain for our sin. Romans 5 explains it best. Romans 5 is the reason for this. Through one man's iniquity, sin entered the world, being Adam. But the second Adam, because of his perfect life, he became justification for all. Now, let me tell you about another doctrine that's come up that's gonna, that your kids may hear about. It's the, it's the universalism doctrine. Anybody ever heard of universalism? This is where universalism gets their faith from is Romans 5. Because Adam's sin applied to all, then Jesus' perfect sacrifice applies to all. This is what we call picking and choosing your scriptures. But later on in Romans 10, we know what that means. Whenever he said, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So my confession and my belief in my heart is that Jesus is the perfect son of God and that he was crucified and he was resurrected. And because of that, I am now saved. John 3, 16, these are foundational scriptures, but do we believe it? Do we hold on to it? Because the time is coming and I'm not one of these end time, like, ooh, it's gonna get darker. 
But the, it's culture's here. What are you believing? The Bible says, make, make sure that you're not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that comes. Get on TikTok for a minute. You'll see every doctrine that comes up. What are you holding on to? What's the foundation of your faith? I want to read a scripture. I pulled out my Bible from high school this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read about what we should be unified over. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, I'm going to read this out of the New King James. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, he wrote this because Paul was actually in prison when he wrote this, by the way. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love. I need to read that whenever I drive because, whew, my road rage lately. Endeavor, you hear me, amen. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. That's the unity that we have. You know, every time I preach, I always like to tell little stories about my son, Brecken. My son, Brecken, he's a um, very intelligent young man. I like to say he gets it from me. Um, he asked me a question the other day. And I want to tell you parents, when your kids ask you questions, slow down. And don't give them a platitude answer or a makeshift answer. Really hear the heart of what they're asking. So these conversations started one night. It was like 11 o'clock and Brecken knocked on our door and he came in. He said, hey, I've been thinking about something. I was like, yeah, what's up, bud? If God is so good, because we sing that he's good, if God is so good, then why does he allow babies to be born and then die immediately? Um, go read your Bible, kid. That's what I wanted to tell him. But I started talking to him and hearing his heart about it. And then he asked me, if God loves everybody, then why do some people go to hell? And then the question that really hit me, because this really showed my son's heart and his mind, he said, Dad, this was like two nights later, he goes, I really want to know what it's like to hear God's voice. I hear people saying, God said this and God said that. How do I know it's really God? He said, if I'm laying in my bed and I have this thought, go in the hallway, how do I know it's God and how do I know it's just me? And I said, well, but I mean, like, for example, if God told me right now to pick up this pencil and stab you in the neck, chances are that's not God. He goes, Abraham and Isaac. <gasps> Shoot. <laughs> and I'm like, well, son, blah, 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 blah. There was a ram in the thorn bush. And... But what I'm saying this is my son is not just that kid your sons and daughters are going to be asking the same thing. And so what I go back to them all the time is like, Brecken, we may not have all the answers. And my favorite thing to say is IDK. I don't know. But it's not I don't know and I don't care. It's I don't know. I want to, Lord, what is your heart behind this? What is your word saying in this? But one thing I tell my sons and I tell everybody I talk to is this fist right here will never change, that Jesus is the perfect lamb of God and he was, he was crucified and he's resurrected and he's now sitting at the right hand of God. That's what I know. That's what I know here. It's what I know here.
We gotta be unified that there is one God, that there is one spirit and one baptism. We have to be unified on that. Acts 2.42, I read it at the beginning of service, but half of you weren't in here because you were doing what you're supposed to do, fellowship in with the brethren. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says that when the church came together, Peter just got through preaching. He just got through preaching one of the best evangelism messages of all time because it was a personal account of the life of Jesus. And he preaches, and it says that men were cut to the heart. They were cut to and go, what do we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. And it said that 3,000 were added to the church. And that word church right there is the, the Greek word, ekklesia, which means the assembly. Ekklesia, the church, was never supposed to be in a building, but it's a moving organism full of different members of the body, which is us. And it says after that, in Acts 2.42, it says that they devoted themselves, that the, that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. What were the apostles teaching? Hey, when you praise, make sure you praise like this, not like this. Make sure when you hop, it's got to be the hallelujah hop. Can't be no twerking going on. Like, that's not what they were preaching. What the apostles were teaching was the life in the blood of Jesus. That's what they devoted themselves to. And it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of the brethren, the encouragement, the edification of the brethren. The third thing they devoted themselves to was the Lord's Supper, communion, sharing in the suffering of Christ. And the fourth thing was corporate prayer that they devoted themselves to. I told myself I would practice what I preach because I have, I have a lot of notes that I normally don't have notes. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go over these four things, what I believe the purpose of the visible local church is. I'm not. I'm actually going to, we're going to film a podcast this week with part two because I, I want to stick to the main thing. Our foundation is Christ and him crucified. And we're going to take communion, but here's what I want to do. I want to read some scriptures. I want to read from the book of 1 Corinthians because I believe this is, this is serious. God is a um, loving God, but he's also a God of order. And I want to picture this like this. Imagine right here, there was a rectangle and it was curtained off right here. Actually, I'll just use the curtain that's behind the lights. Imagine if I told you right there, behind that curtain is the almighty presence of God. And you, you have access to go in. You have access to go in. Hey, but if you go in with sin, you'll die. And by the way, now in the new covenant, you don't, we, we get to go in together, locking arms, hand in hand. I believe communion represents that. I believe communion is so important to the body of Christ that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. But yet sometimes we take it, especially when we have the rip and sips, maybe it's not as serious or not as reverent as we need it to be. Because Jesus' words are pretty clear on what this is. But even whenever it comes to this right here, this, this cup of grape juice and a wafer that tastes like cardboard, what this is right here. I, you know what I see in this? I see sometimes divisions. If I said today we're going to partake in the Eucharist, oh my God, Brady turned Catholic. We immediately go, ooh, Eucharist. But you know the actual Aramaic word for this is Eucharist? Oh, um, we believe this is just a symbol 
Oh no, we believe it actually becomes the blood and it's the actual body of Christ because he said, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. So it actually is the blood and the body of Christ. No, no, that, he didn't tell us to be a cannibal. No, no way. It's just, it's this. Oh, okay, no, it, whenever it touches your, your tongue, it becomes the body and blood. Or oh, is it 10 minutes later, can I swim after? Like, there's so many divisions based around this. You know why? Because it's not based on this fist doctrine, it's based off of all this other stuff. When I want to get back to what this really is, so join with me in reading 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17. Now, in giving these instructions... Can you imagine this being read to us right now? Pretend, pretend I'm Paul and I'm reading this to you. Now, in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Can you imagine hearing that from your minister friend? For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. For there must, also be there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, for in eating each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have your houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. So what was going on in the culture right there? So they were coming together and basically it was an argument of the haves and the haves nots. If you had money, you got to partake. If you didn't, you had to wait. And if they took it all, sorry, you can't partake. So they started being divided based off of their, their financial status. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup of supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So why do we take this? Because we are proclaiming as one body, when we take communion, we are claiming his life and his resurrection for the world to see. This is our covenant. Most, most time we stop right there. We stop the scripture. But we're gonna keep reading this morning because it's so good. After I read it, you're like, that's not good. Verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you and many Basically, that means they died. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not condemn with the world. If you hang around me long enough, you, you, you probably heard me say this, and I'm not being a heretic or sacrilegious, but I think you'll understand what I'm saying. There is one book in the Bible I wish I could cut out, and we just read from it. 1 Corinthians is a really hard book for me 
But I learned as a young Christian teenager to not read the Bible so the Bible agrees with my theology, but I read the Bible to get my theology. And that's a very powerful statement. But do I read this to go, see, I was right, or do I read this to go, Lord, am I missing something? Am I missing something? Why would Paul write this if it was not that important? You know, when I talked about going to holies, you could die. In Leviticus chapter 10, there's the story of Aaron's sons. They brought strange fire before the Lord and they burned it. And God killed them. I'm not saying that if you take this unworthy, death will happen. Because as a, as a kid growing up in a Presbyterian church, you know, they would pass the big loaf of bread. Oh, that's another faction division. Leaven in the bread, non-leaven in the bread. And they would take the big loaf. And I remember my first communion. It was kind of like, you know, being Catholic and you get confirmed. You take your first communion in front of everybody. I remember telling my buddy Ronnie, I'm like, dude, when that bread comes by, I'm going to take a big loaf. I'm going to take a big piece. I'm 12 years old. Sure enough, I'm standing in front of the church, and they pass it, and I'm like, oh, yeah, here it comes. And I think I, I mean, as big as my hand was, I just took it. It probably took me 20 minutes to swallow. I made a mockery of it. Then when I took the cup, after I was done with it, I put it around my tongue and, like, wiggled it around. Why didn't God kill me? That's where grace comes in. That God is so gracious to us. But this right here represents this fist. This represents the body, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is our evangelism to the world that we are united as one. So when we come together, let's not make it for the worse, but let's make it for the betterment that we agree that Jesus is who he said he is and he does what he said he does and he did what he said he would do. That is what I believe. All the other stuff, I love you. We can take care of it. Democrat, Republican, doesn't matter. I love you. We can work this thing out. But one thing is the life and the crucifixion of Jesus. So I'm going to invite the band to come up. And when the Bible says to examine yourself, this is what I used to think it meant. And I, I I'm, thank God for Pastor Larry and his guidance in our, in our staff and our life. Because this is, what I, this is something that has been popping in our staff meetings lately. That when you say yes to Jesus, whenever you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, guess what he calls you? Righteous. When, you don't understand what I did yesterday. You don't understand how good he is. You're righteous. Well, you know, I just, oh my gosh, I lied to my wife yesterday. You're righteous. He sees you with the robe of righteousness around you. So whenever Paul says, examine yourself, this is what I believe Paul is saying. Examine yourself to see if you're in Christ. Because if you take this and you're not in Christ, you're drinking sickness or even death upon you. But if you're taking this hidden in Christ, there's joy and there's gladness and there's abundance in your life because you are hidden in Christ. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That is what we're supposed to be teaching. We're supposed to be teaching that through Christ, there's redemption. Through Christ, there's saving. Through Christ, there's abundance. But you have to be in Christ. So examine yourself. Are you in the body of Christ? 
You may only be the little pinky toe, but you're in the body of Christ. And guess what? You need the pinky toe for balance. We need each other. Some of you are a good elbow. Joe T's a good elbow, which just pops people. We need that. We also need a loving hand that guides us. You may be that. Are you in the body? Are you hidden in Christ Jesus? Examine yourself. This is the good news. You may say, man, Brady, that was a really hard, deep message about disunity because it's real, it's going on. But there's one thing that we could be joyful over. It's that God looked down and while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. Some of us been in this way too long that we forget the being in all. We lost our wonder. Maybe you lost some fire going on inside of you because you made it about something that didn't need to be. So what we're gonna do is we're going to take this in a worthy manner. But first, we're gonna, we're gonna worship together first. We're gonna sing some songs together in unity. But while we're doing this, don't just get caught up in reading the lyrics on the screen are caught up watching Nakoda because he looks so good. But what we're doing is, imagine this thing is disappearing. It's just you in the Holy of Holies with God. And you're standing there hidden in Christ. Everybody stand with me and let's worship.
Grab your communion elements. You know, in Acts 2, after they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship of the brethren, the breaking of bread, and the prayer, it said that a holy awe struck out in the room and that many signs and wonders happened. I believe in that. Because when there's a unified spirit around this, around the body and the blood of Christ, supernatural signs and wonders take place. So Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. This is the Lord's Supper. And as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, if you can take the bread, blessed and broke it and gave it to the disciples. So let's bless it. Father, we thank you for the body of Christ. Broken, bloody, beaten, 
my stupidness and my shamefulness, broken for, for me and for us. Thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. In Jesus' name. And he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body. So eat it. Verse 27, then he took the cup. When I think about this cup, I think about him right in the garden right before this. And he's praying, God, let this cup pass from me. What cup is he talking about? He's talking about the cup. Let this cup pass from me. It's whenever he was praying so hard that blood was coming out and he was sweating blood. He said, not my will, but your will, God. So it was right after this, whenever that happened. So as he's doing this with his disciples, he knows what's coming. He's saying, this is my blood. And he knows what's about to happen in the garden. He knows what's about to happen on the cross, and he still does it. Then he took the cup, and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Thank God we're in the new covenant, which is shed for the many of the remissions of sin. Lord, we thank you for the cup. Come on, give thanks for it. Lord, we thank you for your blood that was shed on Calvary. We thank you for the blood that was shed with a, with a whipping on your back with the crown of thorns. We think that this blood that was poured out on the mercy seat took care of our sins, our iniquity. As you say in Psalms, as far as the east is from the west, you've removed our transgressions. Father, thank you for removing our crimson stain that we have of sin. Thank you, Father, for It is good news. You just put them on, like the ushers are walking down the aisle, you can put them in there. It is good news. Jesus is good news. We're still gonna end on time, but what I like to do is after we took it, we sing some songs together. We're still gonna get out at the same time, so don't rush out. Let's worship together. Let's worship our heavenly Father, the goodness of the Lord together.